0: Welcome back, it's time for Customers Who Click. This week, I'm catching up with Karl co-founder of Accelerated, an e-commerce agency uh, working with DTC brands on conversion rate optimization and experimentation. Increasing conversion rate by just a few percent points can have a huge impact on your revenue, as I'm sure you all know. So if it's not currently a priority, it probably should be. We're going to be discussing topics such as what the most important conversion triggers are, how to create ad copy that resonates with customers, and multi-funnel testing. The best thing is... Tweaking things to improve conversion doesn't really have to cost much, Uh, unlike other things such as investing in ads. So, of course, it's a bit of a no-brainer. Let's get Carl on now to find out what tips and expertise he can share. Hi, Carl. Thanks for joining me today. Would you mind just giving us a bit of an introduction to yourself, a bit of your background and how you got to where you are today?
1: For sure. Well, thank you so much for having me. Really excited to be with you on this episode today. A quick background from me. I'm hugely obsessed with psychology. This passion started when I was 16, when I just wanted to use it kind of to... Motivate myself, influence myself, and also influence the relationships that I have with other people. So that was the initial start of me starting to learn psychology. And then over time, I started with e-commerce and everything. And at one day, I met Lars. He's my co-founder now for the CRO agency that we run together. And he was a freelancer back then for this whole conversion and optimization thing, right? So initially, I hired him to work on my store and we started working together. And for me, I just saw these two words colliding of my huge passion of psychology and then kind of the business world of e And he brought them both together with me with conversion rate optimization. And then that was like three years ago. And since then, we started building this agency around conversion rate optimization. And that's what we do today.
0: Oh, amazing. Yeah, that's really cool. I mean, Yeah, the psychology side is, is just so interesting, isn't it? It's Especially when i'm sure you've had it plenty of times right you you run a test does not go as expected and you're thinking how have people not reacted to this how i expected like how i how I thought they would and you've got to yeah. just kind of dive back into it think about it for a bit and, and work it out so yeah so how do you get customers clicking great question
1: i will answer it from a psychology perspective because that's what i focus most on i don't want to give like a strategic or tactical answer to the question. I personally believe you get customers clicking if you really grab their attention. And what I mean by this is you have to meet them at the current awareness stage and emotional stage that they're in, right? So you have to either way hit them with a pain point or a desired outcome or somehow grab the attention based on their current emotion or current thought stage that they're in, because only then you will get them to click and take an action.
0: Yeah. makes sense. Yes. It's general marketing, isn't it? <laughs> right. It's, you know, look, look at the the funnel and put the right messaging in the right, in the right places. Yeah. You're not going to convince someone to buy something if they're not even aware they've got the problem. Right. So you need to kind of educate them on that piece, make them go, Oh yeah. Okay. That could be interesting. Yeah. Funnily enough. I was, I was going through a, 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 catalog yesterday just while I was at my parents. It's a, for a cooking store here in the UK. and. The number of items that I saw in this catalogue and went like I, I ne- didn't even know these things existed, but when I saw them, I thought, oh yeah, no, I want that. That that would <laughs> that sounds that interesting. Would go, <laughs> that would go really well in the kitchen, and it's it's just you know not not knowing they existed, and I'm not ready to buy. But you know now I know these things <laughs> exist. <laughs> They've just got to <laughs> kind of, nudge me towards them. I thought it'd be good a good place to start actually would be if you could give us a bit of an introduction to Cro. Uh, It'd be, I think, it'd be really interesting to get your viewpoint on it, because obviously there is kind of CRO, conversion rate optimization, and then there are differing opinions on exactly what that means.
1: Yeah, sure thing. Would you? So for me, there are three big levers that we have in making an e-commerce business successful, and for me, that is the ad performance, the website performance, and the retention. So first things first, we need to make sure that we have great creators, great media buying, and really drive traffic to the page. Then we have the website performance. So we want to make sure that we convert this traffic from prospects to customers and get them to spend a lot. And then we have the third page, which is retention. Right, We want to give them a great product experience, great customer experience, so that they come back to the brand and buy again. And with CRO, we focus on the stage in the middle, right? The website performance. So for me, CRO is all about understanding the customer journey and then obviously focusing on boosting conversion rate and average order value, which is going to make the traffic more profitable and also get more of the clicks that you push to the page, convert and actually spend money with you. So for me, it's like one of these three levers that you have in e-commerce.
0: Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, it's always... It's a bit of a frustrating thing to deal with, with clients sometimes, but yeah, if the traffic is rubbish, then your conversion rate is going to be rubbish, even if you've got a great website. And likewise, if your website is terrible, you can be driving fantastic traffic from advertising, but it's not going to convert. It's not going to do anything. So there is, you know, there needs to be that link up, which is, is can be difficult when things are really siloed. But yeah, I mean, if we, if we focus on the the CRO piece, really the, the site experience where... How do you approach that? What's, you know, if you, I suppose if you start with a new client or something, what would you be looking for? What are the, what are those key things that you target to try and improve conversion?
1: Great question. First things first, we like to get a uh, holistic understanding of the customer journey, right? Which are the traffic sources that they use to push traffic to the page? Are they heavily focused on VSLs on YouTube? Are they heavily focused on these TikTok traffic or Google retargeting, right? So first of all, get understanding of which traffic is being sent to the page. And then also, what awareness stage are they in when they hit the landing page? And then also, secondly, for us, it's really important to gather an understanding of the target audience and the prospects, because each target audience is different. It's completely different if you're selling a fitness program or gym membership to a high status man, or if you're selling underwear to a female audience, right? Yeah. <laughs> for the fitness program, if I sell it to a high status man, I could be saying something like, hey, bro, you should really buy this program to become the best version of yourself and totally crush it in the gym, but you have to buy it now and take action now. While on the other hand side, if I'm selling underwear to a female audience, I have to be way more softer in my marketing and in the copywriting and cannot really use pressure. So this is the first step that we like to gather this understanding of who are we really selling to and how should we sell to them?
0: Yeah, I I think you made a good point there, right? You've you kind of got to be softer with your messages and things. It really does depend on on the product you're selling and the audience, doesn't it? You know, there are certain. In fact, I, I had a couple of tests recently with a client where the people are purchasing reasonably expensive products that require you know a fair bit of time to consider. You know, you've, you know it's it's lighting, designer lighting for houses, so people need to be thinking. I've got to be sure I really, well, I really want to be sure this is actually going to be the right lights for my house it's going to make sense so they do a lot of research they spend a lot of time pondering it and in the existing checkout there was a timer which said you know we're going to hold your order for 15 minutes and so when I when I joined the clients I I just said well let's let's look for some kind of quick wins you know opportunities let's test removing that and see what happens and the conversion rate went up made them quite a lot of money and the feeling there was it's it was just unnecessary pressure which potentially cheapened the brand in people's eyes you know it was like why why do you need to put this pressure on me to make the purchase right it's just just let me let me make sure i'm doing the right thing i don't want to feel yeah. rushed And and yeah so you get the same things in in different industries if you try and rush people in the wrong space it's not going to work
1: yeah great example, especially for what you just mentioned with like these high price products where the customer journey takes longer, you are cannot expect them to make a decision within fifty minutes if they're going to spend whatever maybe five or ten K on these design analytics, right? Now I was just going to say are they going to have a longer customer journey where they're going through like the consideration phase and then maybe come back a couple of days later to complete the purchase.
0: Yeah, exactly. you know you get if you're asking, your average person to spend five thousand dollars you know they they need to take their time they need to be sure yeah, okay, put that timer in front for a, a billionaire buying a yacht and they might just go, yeah cool, just have my credit card let's let's get it done but when you know just because something is high ticket value doesn't mean it's uh, that luxury end where people have got a lot of money and they just say yeah cool whatever it doesn't doesn't really matter I can afford that you know you've got people it's like buying a house right? Loads of people yeah. buy houses, they're really expensive. People take their time. They want to make sure it's right. You, know, you can't, you shouldn't pressure people. <laughs> yeah.
1: So that's basically the first stage that we really like to do the deep dive in to get the understanding of who's buying from us. And also like, what are the main decision driving factors playing into it? Right? So whether it be like, are they buying it because they want to get a solution or are they buying it because they want to get away from a problem. Right? So understanding if their motivation is towards something or away from something. Same with what are the main triggers that we can use? Are we able to use pressure or shouldn't we really pressure them at all, right? Same with social proof or trust or authority. A lot of these different psychological triggers that we like to kind of embed into the customer journey to make sure we get more people converting from prospect to customer. And I think, and I'm really excited to hear your experience on this, it has to be like really targeted to the prospects right from this specific brand. There are certain triggers like social proof or trust that you can just use anywhere. But then there are other triggers like urgency or pressuring them that should be used for care.
0: It's interesting you mentioned social. This is one, it's an interesting one where it's it feels like you know, best practice is to put reviews on your website. I've had a a couple of clients recently where I've been been testing out various forms of social proof and some of it has not been working. And, you know, we've got hypotheses around this. I also know from, you know, customer feedback from reviews and and even just reading reviews online, you see people saying, I normally don't trust reviews, (laughs) right? So I, I don't think it's as simple as just get reviews, stick them on your website now. I think it's you know really consider how you're using the reviews, and make sure people understand that these are actual like uh, genuine third party reviews, because I think that's that's where people lose people lose the credibility of the review. You know, if, if you just see uh, like a hard coded review on a website, you know, it's not part of a widget, and you're just yeah. seeing some some text and an image, you might think, well, I'll, I don't know if that's a real person. Whatever. Yeah, great point. So, you do have to, you are still got to be careful with how you use the review, just like, you know, being careful with how you use a timer or a guarantee or whatever it is, it's going to work differently for different people, different situations, different industries.
1: Yeah, great point, especially for like the reviews. What I was just thinking of how. A lot of these dropshippers nowadays like to use Luke's reviews and then just put the testimonials from Alibaba, right? And you can see within a second that all of those reviews are fake. So I would really focus on making sure that you are either way using a third-party widget or put a lot of time and effort into designing the review section, especially enriching them with information. Something like these small badges and saying it's a verified customer, the customer is from this location, this is when they bought, maybe even linking a social media profile, pictures and everything. Just to make it really trustworthy not a general review that can be easily fake.
0: Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It's using a decent review provider. You know, one that one that people find if they Google you, because people do, right? They Google your brand, your brand name reviews and they see what pops up. And if you're not on trustpilot, reviews.io, maybe FIFO, if you're not on those pages and, and don't have good reviews, that's going to be a problem for you. Because there are some other review parties that either don't pop up on Google or they look a bit not as good. Yeah. So it's it's you know I, I guess it's a it's it's partly a bit of a problem because it means you do have to pick one of the the top review providers, but they are also a reason that they're the top providers.
1: Yeah, so I thought it really interesting what you just mentioned that the customer journey is not only on like one specific website, right, where they just click around, look at the homepage, look at the collection page and look at the different products, but also goes away from the store itself and on Google or on competitor websites or maybe even Amazon to try to make this buying decision, right?
0: Yeah, Amazon. Amazon is interesting. Kind of trying to see whether I can take review attributes from Amazon and use them. <laughs> And, and then create our own, our own little image on a website. That could be an interesting test. But yeah, pe- people go to Amazon. They go to check reviews. I remember someone saying, and this this is supermarket stuff. So it's a little different, but it was for Morrison's here in the UK, the supermarket chain. And he said he was looking at a particular product. Can't remember what it was on the Morrison's website, and it had like two reviews. He looked at the exact same product on Amazon. Which Morris, I believe Morrison is the supplier of for, for Amazon Fresh, and it had like hundreds of reviews. So you're saying like this is how powerful Amazon has got? I mean, yeah. You know, I suppose. You know, maybe Morrison's aren't doing enough on the to to push the reviews on their own website. And also, anyone who buys in store at Morrison's probably wouldn't leave a review, whereas everyone does buy online from Amazon, so Amazon can push for a review. But it just that the the difference in number of reviews was just amazing just because it's on the Amazon website and they are good at getting reviews. Yeah. (laughs) So you might have to almost put up with that and say, well, you know, we use, use Amazon, make sure we get really good reviews there. Knowing that, you know, some people are going to buy out for Amazon. There's not a lot you can do about that, but other people are just using it to check the reviews and make sure you're legit.
1: It's great if you have like this ecosystem of pages, right? What you just mentioned with having Amazon being able to be found on Google, if I were to Google for a specific brand and the review page, and just make sure that like whichever route the customer or prospect maybe take, that they can find something for that route.
0: Yeah. Another really interesting bit of social proof these days actually is social, particularly Instagram. I suppose it does depend a little bit on the business, but Instagram comments. Right, it's it's a good place to do a quick check. You you're not you might not get the same sort of reviews. You might not get kind of detailed product reviews, but you absolutely will get people saying, "Yep, I love this. I've got one." It might just be a quick comment, or you're going to see loads of comments. "I hate this. It's awful. Company didn't deliver. Won't refund me." You know, it's it's a good place to go and check this because people leave comments there because it's, it's public. It gets, it gets it out there. Right. You know, a good sign for me is when I see a Facebook advert and it's got hundreds of comments, that's immediately a green flag to me. And I think, okay, you know, they, they're obviously doing, probably doing something right here. You obviously clicking, So then have a look. And if, again, if you see them commenting and replying back, that's another, a big positive for me, but that's, I suppose maybe it's a good, good, way to take the conversation but his misconceptions around cro mm. that it is just a b testing yeah. when imagine there are people listening to this who had who hadn't really considered facebook comments on an ad as social proof and are now thinking well you know maybe we go look at that right that's that's kind of the power of cro as well we unlock these insights into all aspects of the business really
1: yeah definitely i think the best thing about CRO is that it really combines these two worlds of being able to do data-driven improvements to a website right or come up with these data-driven hypotheses of what you want to change same with what you just mentioned of removing this scarcity timer and the checkup process of this luxury brand um as an idea and then it combines everything with consumer psychology Right, So you can look at data, you can look at how people interact with the page, or you can look at the target audience. And then you can also apply this background knowledge that you have on consumer psychology or certain psychological triggers that you can use to drive behavior or influence them or build more trust or authority and bring both of those together. And I feel like this is the same with marketing. When you're able as a marketer to really understand what you're doing at a high level, for example, whether it be media buying or whether you really analyze how your creatives are performing and which creatives have the best scroll rate, scroll stopper rate, the best video watch through rate, and then are able to come up with ideas on how to optimize these metrics and therefore optimize the click through rate and the sales. This is what's really going to differentiate you nowadays.
0: Yeah, I think possibly the most important question is why? Like, Why is this happening? And I think in the CRO world, we're really good at this. Why aren't people... Well, it could be, why aren't people buying, right? It starts there. Then you start digging into Google Analytics. You find a problem page and think, okay, why aren't people, why don't people like this page? What's, you know, what's going wrong here? And then we start to get that that customer feedback as well as, you know, click maps, scroll maps and, all, and session recordings and all that sort of thing. I don't see that as much on the advertising side. I see a lot of just this ad didn't work. Let's try this instead. Yeah. It's uh, Obviously, a lot, of, a lot of people do, do put the work into to really understand things and iterate it. But I do see CRO as the real kind of driver for, for customer feedback.
1: Yeah, definitely. And it's funny that you say it because also from my perspective, not a lot of performance marketers used it. And I have a really great friend in Germany and he's running a Meta performance marketing agency. And he spent over 100 million on advertising spend last year. And he was only able to do that and differentiate himself from like the other agencies because he was really obsessed with the metrics. So he was obsessed with how he could squeeze the last bit of improvement on the scroll stopper, on the click-through rate, on the video watch-through rate, right? And he was just like really deep diving into the data behind Holo, how these creators were performing and how he could do media buying at a really high level, like really granular level to squeeze the last bit of performance out of it. And that's how he was able to crush with that kind of ad spend.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's, that's fantastic. It's obviously similar to CRO, isn't it? It's how do we, how do we keep improving? I suppose that's another, I don't know if it's a misconception or people just don't know this, but you know, we don't just run an AB test, get a winner and then move on to something else. It's okay. Why did this win? You know, again, it comes back to that. Why, doesn't it? Like, why did this win? And then how can we make it even better?
1: Yeah, it's what you mentioned earlier, like people have this misconception that you can just put any social proof on the page, put any trust badges on the page, and it's going to work, right? Because you've seen it on another store or another website that they've been doing it, and they are—they may be big, or they may be crushing it. And you just like copy and paste their strategy. And then you end up wondering why it's not working. And then you think COO may not be the deal after all.
0: <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah oh god it happens too much um and what's the other one kind of on, on the same lines yeah it's, it's this this best practice and when you get the comment oh everyone in our industry does it that way it's like well firstly you don't know that means it's working you don't know if it's working for everyone in the industry you just know that they're doing it secondly how can you be different how can you be better if you're doing the same thing as them All right so it should be you know, again, why? Right? Why is everyone doing yeah. this? Why is it on their website? How can we do it better? One thing that you've you've talked about before, and, and we spoke about in our in our previous call, is multi funnel testing. So, I'd just like to kind of touch on this a little bit, yeah. Just <laughs> kind of hand that over to you. Really, what's you know, do you want to explain multi funnel testing, how to use it, uh, why would you use it?
1: Sure. Great question again. So generally, we like to run a B test during really consistent periods, right? Because then we can really test a lot of stuff, we can gather these insights, we may have some winning tests, we may have some losing tests, and we can improve over time and have the company detect over time, right? So that's our strategy for like Q1, Q2 and Q3 of the year. And then in q4 we like to switch to what we call multi-funnel testing and what it essentially means is you also set up these a b tests or abc tests but then during these high traffic periods like singles day black Friday, Silver monday halloween and whatever else you may be promoting during q4 you're going to push a lot of ad spend on single days right so we have brands that are spending anywhere between 50 to maybe two, 300k a day. And this is completely different to the normal behavior, right? Normally, they would be are spending consistently, consumer behavior would be really consistently. But then during, for example, Black Friday, Cyber Monday weekend, we cannot really gather these learnings and run a standard A-B test in that sense, because the consumer behavior is completely different. So we may be testing something and then the test has a skewed outcome, right? Just because during this weekend, it was completely different to what it used to be during the year. And then secondly, is that... Well, um, so
0: just to touch on that, you're right, it's it's a completely different mindset that pretty much everyone is in at that stage. It's not your standard buying journey. It's things yeah. are discounted. Can I get something for a discount? And even like, do I really need this? Maybe not, but it's discounted. So I'll buy it and give it a go. <laughs>
1: Yeah, so great that you mentioned it. It's like a completely different customer behavior and customer journey during these times, right? And then the second thing is, if we, let's say, during Black Friday Cyber Monday, every single day, you're going to spend $100,000 per day. And then we have a 50-50% traffic split with a regular A-B test and one variant may be performing 5% better or something, then you're pushing 50% of the variant, 50% of the traffic to a variant, that's performing 5% worse, right? So basically what you do with multi funnels is that you allocate the traffic intraday and lifetime to the better performing variant. So for example, you scale up on Friday, right? Friday is going to be the first day with a higher ad spend than usual. Then during the first couple of hours of the day, you can analyze which of these variants that you have set up is performing the best one with the highest conversion rate, highest average order value, and then you can allocate all of the traffic to that one during the day, because this is how you can really maximize performance during these like time spans with really high traffic.
0: Yeah. Okay, it makes sense. So yeah, essentially running an A/B test but in a 24-hour period with quite a structured approach to that to how you do it for a 24-hour period, right? Yeah,
1: So you can set up for a 24 hour period or even for like a week or a weekend, depending on how long you're going to increase your ad budget. And then on top of running this A-B test, not split the traffic 50-50% during the whole time. But like let's say after 10k in ad spend and a certain amount of sessions, you see which variant is performing better. And then you just push all of the traffic to the better performing one.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And do you run it in a, is it a kind of similar approach to an A B test in that you, you, you kind of make one change and you're, you're testing on one thing? Or, you know, when you say multi funnel testing, are we looking at quite different approaches to, yeah. to the experience that people are going to see? Yeah,
1: it's rather these like bigger changes that we like to test in terms of running different offers, different bundles, or maybe even different cross sets and upsets during the funnel and during the customer journey. So it's not in, the, in that sense, a regular A-B test where you do one small, tiny change, but rather test different landing pages or even a different funnel structure. So funnel A may have landing page to offer page to checkout to thank you page. And funnel B may have landing page direct to checkout to thank you page, right? So some sort of these bigger changes where you potentially have a decrease or increase
0: of 5 10 20%. Given that, as we've discussed, the consumer behavior might be a little bit different on certain days like Black Friday, but how do you move forwards with, with what you've learned from these multi-funnel tests after the holiday period? You know, When we go back into that more stable time of the year?
1: Yeah. So with the multifunnels, we only focus on maximizing performance during these periods. So it's not really about gathering these learnings because as you mentioned, for a B test, it's they are amazing because you can do one small change. Where, for example, you remove the scarcity time on the checkout, and then afterwards you know, okay, it's better to not pressure them into buying, right? With multi-funnel testing, where we make bigger changes to the customer journey or do a couple of changes on one landing page, we are not able to say afterwards, yeah, on this landing page, we added an exclusive bundle and we added a scarcity timer and then also a pop-up. So we know exactly what works, right? Because we did a lot of changes. So what we like to do after doing these is kind of split them up into different A-B tests that we can then test uh, on a more continuous level afterwards.
0: Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So it's, it's similar tests that I, to what I've done before, which is, I suppose we, we just described them as A-B tests still, but essentially it was a different product page, right? It wasn't wasn't one change. It was, you know, a new layout, new structure, potentially new copy, you know, whatever it was. It was almost a completely different website. And then if that new version wins, then you start saying, right, how do we start optimizing all these different bits that we've changed? Mm. Yeah. So that's, that works quite i found that works quite well but it works quite well if you're expecting quite a drastic change you no know, you're you're it's almost like you're aiming for a maybe a 10 15 percent improvement with that new design because if you only get a 1% it does suddenly become well what is it what, what's given us that 1% and yeah. there's probably aspects of that new page which are which are pulling the conversion rate down so it is a bit of a riskier Approach to take, but then yeah, you do start testing those individual elements. So yeah, I'm not not completely against that, but I think what you probably don't want to do is just change three things. You've got to take a radical enough approach to the page to make it worthwhile doing that redesign. Otherwise, otherwise (laughs) you might as well just test the three things individually. Back to back. Cool. I think. Did we talk about conversion triggers? Did we go through that a little
1: bit in the beginning? Little bit of social proof and trust.
0: Yeah. Let's, let's come back to that a little bit. Yeah. What other conversion triggers are there? What are the, yeah, I guess as, as I as I did ask you before, like what are the things you look at on a website and say, right, how do we, what's missing here or how do we get people to convert?
1: Yeah. So I always like to look at pages with a certain framework in mind. And for me, this framework is that we need to motivate the prospects. We need to show them the value of the product then we need to reduce friction in the customer journey and reduce the anxiety that they have. So this is basically the framework with how I like to assess the customer journey and the website. And then there are certain psychological triggers that play into this, right? A big one of this is trust because obviously everybody can talk all day long and make the most outrageous claims in their value proposition on the product benefits. But then people need to have trust to the brand or trust to the product that this is actually true so trust is a huge one another one for the motivation is that we like to look at certain incentives that we can do on the page right we like to nudge them right not just like a trigger that we like to use in terms of giving them small incentives and also reaffirming their buying decision so a great example for this would be when they put the product in the card at the top of the card drawer you have a small message that's saying Congratulations, you did a great choice. Here are your products, right? So we basically reaffirmed them and give them a small pat on the back saying that what they did is right. And then we nudged them into our uh, following through of the customer journey. So- Do you know
0: what? I, I, I need to go check. I'll have to go check after this actually to see whether I ran this test or not. It was a similar thing. It was when, when you clicked on the add to cart call to action, the idea was that the cart would change color. Sorry, not the cart. The, the button would change color so you know you've clicked it. And it would say something like, great choice. Just that little yeah. message to make people go, oh, okay, yeah, awesome. Yes, yeah. Um, yeah, so it's interesting you mentioned that as well, a similar, yeah. similar thing.
1: Yeah, so those are like the small things that you can change. Similar to the huge thing is that prospects always have a certain anxiety and certain objections, right? So, this is also a small thing. And I just came up with this because you mentioned the call to action. What we like to do sometimes is instead of saying checkout now or buy now, is go to secure checkout now, right? Just to give them the subtle hint that what they're doing is secure and the payment inform- information is secure. And we want to give them the certainty that they don't need to be anxious about handing us the credit card details, right? So, so is this not- like also.
0: Are you saying after they've clicked add to cart, where they might get a mini cart or a slide cart, whatever you want to call the different the different options? Yeah, and, and there it's, it kind of shows you what you've got in your cart at the moment and it says continue shopping or go to checkout. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. Yeah, no, I like that. Yeah,
1: so those are like the biggest triggers. And then one is rather about removing friction. Right? or giving them more incentives for the parts where we cannot remove friction. So one thing that we tested recently, and you've probably did it, did like a similar one too, is in the checkup process, we aren't able to remove these forms. So we ask them about the name and the address and the credit card. Right, We cannot remove this friction. We need them to put in the information there. So what we did was as soon as they fit in their name, for example, in one of those fields, we would give them a green check mark and like highlight this box green to give them a small dopamine hit, right? We want to give them an incentive to go through this complete form and fill it out and then go to the next step. So this was like a really small, subtle change, uh, but it worked really well because it gave them these like small dopamine hits as soon as they would put in the information.
0: I like that. I haven't tried testing that, but what I have done is I've run tests on explaining the friction. So even with things like email address, just confirming to someone that we need the email address to confirm their order, send them their receipt. Same with the phone number. Have you have you worked with Magento sites? We mostly work with Shopify stores, actually. Okay. So I think this is a default Magento thing that gets left on a lot of websites. Next to phone number in the checkout, there's a little question mark. When you click on that question mark, it says something like for order questions or something like that. It's something that if a hundred people read that, I'm not sure anyone could could tell you definitely what that means. Absolute certainty, (laughs) what that piece of information means. I I didn't quite get it right, but it's something like for order questions. Now, what it actually needs to say is so that we can contact you about your order or, you know, whatever, right? Not a, we want to stick you on our marketing list. And that's why we're capturing your phone number. It's, you know, it, it could be so that we can pass it to the courier. Um, to update you about your order, something like that. But the default option is left as something like for order questions and it just doesn't make any sense. So I've, I've run some tests around that and and updating mm. that copy and, and maybe mentioning, uh, you know, doing things in a few other places in the checkout. Because like you say, you can't, either you can't remove that friction or you would really, really rather not remove the friction because it's valuable enough to the journey uh, or to the post-purchase experience maybe to, to keep it there.
1: Yeah, I like that one a lot. And then also one thing I just had top of mind now is increasing users' motivation, right? What we really like to do for that is doing customer surveys where we ask questions that are designed to understand their pain points, beliefs, motives, and desires. And then based on these customer surveys, analyze which are the most common used words, metaphors, analogies, and stories that they like to tell about why they bought the product right? And then we go through these surveys. And let's say, for example, 10,000 people filled out the survey, and 5,000 of them say, I bought these lighting, lighting the lightings, because I wanted to create a luxury atmosphere at home, right? And then 50% of the people use exactly this sentence. And then what we like to do is do copywriting tests, where we switch the current copywriting or the current value proposition to something that's based on the customer service. And what we found is that even the slightest change or the slightest addition of a word or a sentence resonates so much more with the prospect because like we are using exactly the language that they would use to describe something because maybe if i as a brand owner maybe i would say i'm selling these designer lightings, things and the main benefit of those are is that they are made out of steel and they are a high quality and long lasting right but my target audience usually says i buy them to have a unique luxury atmosphere at home so we're talking yeah. about the same thing, but we're really using completely different words.
0: Yeah, exactly. Nobody nobody cares that they're made of steel, or whatever. They they might if it comes through in the look and feel, but otherwise it's yeah. All right, they might they might notice it in the product description and go, oh, okay, it's steel. That's probably quite durable, but it's not a, it's not a key selling point for them. The key selling point is yeah, it makes your house look amazing. You know, you're going to make people jealous. For these guys, actually, so, so many reviews and comments say, I get so many comments from my neighbors or like I've told, I've told so many, so many yeah. of my neighbors about this business now because they keep asking. So there's, you know, we could test some messaging around making your, making your neighbors jealous, right? <laughs> and it's yeah. and kind of go down that route, you know, there's, there's options, but yeah, it's that, that voice of customers is really, really important. And, and sometimes it's the case that you've, you've not got this message at all. And this this kind of message pops up in reviews and whatever, and you go, oh, okay, actually, that's really interesting. We didn't know people thought of it that way. And the other way that I see it, the other kind of insight I get from it a lot is you're kind of saying the same thing, but you're not using their words. And so actually you're missing out. So even though yeah. you're using slightly different words and giving the same message, because you're using those different words, it doesn't work. Yeah, that's a huge one yeah cool any anything else you wanted to mention i think was there one more or we talked uh, about? One more?
1: no those were the biggest ones motivation value proposition friction and anxiety
0: yeah all really important it's kind of similar to what i focus on it's usability which i think is the friction side anxiety and motivation Oh literally the same words <laughs> great but yeah i find that if you just target those three think you know how do we how do we make sure the website is as easy to use as possible how do we make sure we're answering all their questions and how do we excite people about buying this product? That's kind of a, a an easy way to look at it and, and, and target conversion op- opportunities.
1: Yeah, definitely.
0: Cool. So just before we finish up then, is there anyone in the D2C marketing space that you'd want to go for lunch with?
1: Funny question. I think I would go love to go to lunch with Moise and Suli Ali. Those are two brothers. I believe they live in New York and they have a VC and a couple of eco brands and investments that they did. And I would like to get them to know them better because they have a big portfolio of really like interesting brands that they operate and investments. And yeah, I would love to like pick their brain on that.
0: Uh, awesome. Yeah, I think it could be interesting to get someone like that on the podcast actually. Someone who's not, you know, not a service provider, not a founder, yeah. exactly like that kind of VC approach to, to growth. And and I suppose how that's changed over the last couple of years as well. So just finally, are there any tools that you'd recommend people use? Might be interesting to, if you've got a tool that you can recommend for surveys.
1: Great question to you. So we like to keep it really, really basic. We literally do these surveys with Google Forms, Jot Form or Typeform because they're like really easy to set up. I feel it's more about how you frame those surveys. So what we like to do is, for example, pick a segment out of the email subscriber list and then send out these surveys and then in the mail, tell them, hey, customer X, Y, Z. we are really keen on improving our product and our customer experience. And you as one of our fans, like your feedback is really valuable. So we have the survey and for each, it's 10 questions. And for each answer that you get us, we are going to give you $2 in form of a gift card. And now they're really engaged. They're going to give you mm. these 10 highly qualitative answers. And you're giving, going to get them a $20 gift card, which they are going to use to buy something from your store. <laughs> so it's like a win-win-win situation.
0: That's really interesting. I hadn't, I hadn't really thought of breaking it down like that and saying, we'll give you kind of $2 per question or anything like that. Um tends to go down the route of, you know, you answer the survey, you get a $10 gift card at the end or $20, yeah, whatever. Yeah. I might have to test that out see if that improves response rate or anything it's <laughs> quite interesting yeah so you kind of say you know you can get get something from from doing this survey even if you can't answer all the questions you don't have to commit to it yeah interesting awesome well thank you so much it's been really really interesting i hope all the listeners have found it useful if people want to get in touch with you what's the best way of doing that
1: It was a pleasure thank you for having me best way to get in touch is via twitter all right. Okay. Interesting. Not LinkedIn. LinkedIn you, but I'm actually more active
0: on Twitter. Twitter. Okay. I'll have to uh, I'll have to check you out on Twitter a bit more. I'm I'm not <laughs> active on Sweet. Twitter at the moment. I, I need to get back on it and give it another, another yeah. go. But, but yeah, awesome. All right. Thank you so much, Carl. Sweet. Thanks so much. And that was Carl. Uh, I love how he brings psychology into the customer journey. Uh, you know, meeting customers at not just the awareness stage, but the emotional stage of their journey, and optimizing things appropriately for that stage. And of course, really considering who your audience is and adjusting your messaging accordingly, i.e. some audiences require a softer approach, while with some others you can be a bit more hard-hitting. It just highlights the fact that conversion optimization is really personalized and tailored for every product, every audience and company. There isn't a one-size-fits-all approach. Also, a reminder of how consideration should go into what kind of social proof you use it doesn't always have a positive impact, uh, depending on how it's implemented. Uh, plenty of tips there i think hopefully you got some value and ideas out of it if you want to hear more from carl you can find him on linkedin or visit his website at uh, acceleratedagency.com any other podcast questions feedback or guest requests please send them over to will at customers who com or dm me on linkedin next week i've got james gosling on the show we're, we're going to be discussing how to conquer amazon marketplace as a revenue channel but until then keep those customers clicking